you have your Bible this morning, I want to ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. As you're turning there, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you are an Israelite. You've been wandering in the desert now for maybe close to 40 years. Probably you were born uh, in the desert or the wilderness wandering, and now you're right at the edge of the promised land. You have heard all the promises from your parents that God had made to your people about how one day you would inhabit this land, and you've heard stories about what life was like for your parents in Pharaoh, and I'm sorry, in Egypt, and how Pharaoh was uh, really abusing the people there and had enslaved them for all of those years, and you've heard them talk about the work that they had to endure and the beatings that they would would have to endure over and over and over again. You remember Moses, who's no longer with you. He passed on, but you have fond memories of Moses. I mean, he, he just always kind of had the look and the feel of a leader. It was like something commanding about his presence. And you'd heard the stories about how God had sent Moses uh, to Egypt to deliver your parents and your grandparents from that slavery there in Egypt, how God worked with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and performed many signs and wonders through this particular leader. You had heard about the frogs and the lice and how the water had been turned to blood and how darkness fell over the land. And well, you had heard them talk about the Passover and how your parents had taken a lamb and they had killed a lamb and they took the blood of that lamb and put it over the door frames of their homes because as God would finally bring deliverance to his people, he would come through Egypt and he would destroy all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, passing over the homes that had been covered by the blood of the Lamb. You had heard all of those stories and they were certainly wonderful, but you wondered if you ever were going to finally be able to live in that land. Well, for the large part of your life, if not all of your life, you had never really had a home. You had gone from place to place, you never would really get settled. You knew it was because of the mistakes of your parents and grandparents. They had gotten to the edge of the land before. You'd heard them tell that story. And Well, how as they got to the edge of the land, they saw that the land was everything God told them it was going to be, but they just didn't trust God. They thought that the people in the land were just going to be too big for them, and they just, well, they, they were weak, they were scared, and in a moment of panic, they chose to rebel against God. So God sent your family into the desert for 40 years, and that's where you've lived all of your life. But now there's a new leader. His name is Joshua. You have great respect for Joshua. He'd been kind of the leader of your army for all of these years. And you see God's hand upon him. You've been able to cross the Jordan River, kind of making your way into the land a little bit, and you walked over on dry land. You'd heard the report from a couple of spies who had gone into the city of Jericho and found out that they had talked to a woman named Rahab, and she told them, listen, we all know that you all are coming into this land, and you're going to take it. So you see the hand of God at work. And really for you at this point, it's not a matter of if you're going into the land. The only question really is when, and you think it's about to happen now. Then in Joshua chapter 5, we see where Boy, the stage is really set up. In verse 1, look there with me. It says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Not a question of if, only a question of when. All of these years, you've been wondering. 
You're right at the edge of finally taking the land, fulfilling the destiny that God has for you and his people. Finally finding home. The stage is set. It's just a matter of taking that next step. But then verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. And now this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way and they had, after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Now, you weren't expecting that to happen. You are right on the edge of finally fulfilling that destiny that God had for you. You're right on the edge of finally entering into that promised land that your parents and your grandparents had told you about. You're finally at that point of being able to quit moving around all the time and finally have home. And right before you take that next step, now you know it's going to be challenging, you know there's going to be a battle, but you're convinced that victory is on the other side of that. Right before you take that next step, you have to stop. And Joshua says... Every one of you who were born during this wilderness wandering, all of you males are going to have to be circumcised. Why in the world, why in the world would God have them do that? Well, it was a matter of identity. It was a reminder to them of the promise that God had made to their forefather Abraham that he was going to give him a nation and one day they would inhabit a land and he had great plans for them. And so it was a physical, it was a visual reminder to them that they were unique unto God. They were to be his people. He was to be their God. They were to be different than all the other people in the world. So he stops them and he reminds them of this identity. But then look with me at verse 10. It says, Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Why did they do that? Well, for one, that was also a part of their identity. See, the Passover was unique to Israel. As I said earlier, that 10th plague that God brought on Egypt that finally allowed Pharaoh or caused Pharaoh to allow the people to go is that God brought death on all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, but he passed over the homes that had been covered by the lamb that the Israelites would kill and take that blood and put it over their door frames. So it was a part of their identity. It was to help them remember before they took that next step and got into the land, help them to remember where they had been and how they had gotten here. You see, God wanted them to remember that there was a time when they were slaves. There was a time when, well, they were separated from that land. There was a time where life was incredibly difficult and they were having to serve Pharaoh. He wanted them to remember that there wasn't a thing in the world they could do about that. If they could have gotten out of slavery, they would have. But he wanted them to remember how they had gotten to where they are, right here on the edge of the land, and it was by God's mighty hand and an outstretched arm, right? It was God's grace. It was God's power that caused Pharaoh to allow them to go free. He wanted them to remember that. That they used to be enslaved, but now as they make their way into the land, now they are free. 
The second reason why they would take, partake of the Passover meal is because it reminded them that, well, it, was, it, it wasn't just about them. That they were part of a group. That they belonged to something more than just themselves. You see, as they would look around, other families would be observing the Passover as well. And it would, again, be an identity not for them as an individual only, but also for them as a people. They were connected to all of these other folks. What God had done, He didn't just do to them, and He didn't just do to their family, but He did for the entire nation. And so, they are all in this together. It's to remind them that they belong to something more. But third of all, it was kind of to remind them of their purpose too, right? You see, God didn't just save them from enslavement in Egypt. God had saved them for himself. You see, as they were to come into the land, they were to be that people unique unto him. That's what the circumcision was to remind them of. That's also what the Passover was to remind them of, that they belong to him. Their identity is in him. They belong together because of him, and he has a purpose for them. What was that purpose? They were to live their lives according to his design. In other words... God was to be their chief delight. And how they handled themselves and their families, how they handled themselves with each other, how they handled themselves and dealt with foreigners, all of that was to be different than everybody else in the world. Because they belonged to God and He was their chief delight. And in doing so, they were to be kind of a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like right there on the earth. And so it was really important, wasn't it? Even though as an Israelite, you've been wondering all this time, you so badly want to finally call this place your home. You want to inhabit this land that your parents refused to do. You want to make right the wrong that they made all of those years ago. You know God's hand is on you. You see how the writing is on the wall. You know that you're going to be able to go into that land and you're finally going to fulfill that destiny. But God says you need to stop. Identity, belonging, purpose. Let's get that down before you take another step. Now I want you to move forward in your Bible to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. At this point in Jesus' life, he is over 30 years of age. He's been walking with the disciples now for 30 years. You and I know that he called the disciples to be fishers of men. That was their purpose. That was their destiny. God was going to use them to begin the church, a spiritual people unto himself, to live differently in the world. The disciples have seen Jesus do some incredible things. They've heard him teach about the kingdom of heaven, the Sermon on the Mount, and they've seen his power as they've seen the storm stilled, and they've seen the lame walk and the blind see. I mean, some incredible stuff. And as we come to Luke chapter 22, we are nearing the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection which will then, in the book of Acts, usher in the disciples living according to the destiny that God has for them. As the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin to proclaim the gospel, carrying out the ministry and mission of Jesus as he had trained them for. 
But before they get there, Jesus causes them to stop. Interestingly, as they are celebrating the Passover meal together, it tells us in verse 14, when the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So what Jesus is telling us here is that the Passover was merely a shadow of what was to come. You know what a shadow is, even as I stand here now. You may be able to see my shadow here on the stage or here on the wall. Well, that shadow is not me. I'm me, right? And so what Jesus is saying is the Passover was just a shadow to point to the real Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and that is Jesus himself. And so Jesus, before the disciples take this next step, which is going to usher them into their destiny and living the life that God desires them to live, oh, there's going to be struggle with Jesus as he goes to the cross, but victory comes with the resurrection, right? And so right before the disciples get to this point in their lives, Jesus, right in the middle of the Passover, he stops and he begins to institute what we call the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate in just a few moments, And the significance of the Lord's Supper is very similar to what we saw with the Passover in Joshua chapter 5. When Jesus said, when you take this bread and you take this cup, remember me? He's saying three things. First of all, remember what I have done for you. You see, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to remember that there was a time when we were enslaved, right? Not to Pharaoh, not to Egypt, not a physical enslavement. It was a spiritual enslavement. It was an enslavement to sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are held captive in our sin. We can't fix it. Don't you think if you could fix it, you would? We can't. And our attempts at fixing it is just kind of like a wilderness wandering. We're just out in the middle of nowhere. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, a spiritual separation from God. That's where we were, right? But as believers, how did we get here? By the mighty hand and an outstretched arm of God himself. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to live a sinless, righteous life for you and me. And he went to the cross of Calvary and endured the wrath of God. That's what he meant when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus is enduring God's wrath. He is enduring that separation on our behalf so that we never have to be separated from him again. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And with that gift, we are taken out of enslavement and into freedom. The Bible says you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. What an incredible truth. And so before we take another step forward... We stop and we take the Lord's Supper and we remember what God has done for you. Secondly, though, we remember that, well, it's all about more than just you. You see, as you and I partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, you can look to your left and to your right and in front of you and behind you, and there are going to be other people doing the very same thing. You know why? Because they have received the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus purchased their salvation as well. And so that's an identity marker for us as a church. It's something that we have in common, and it's an incredible thing. By the way, one of the reasons why the Lord's Supper is called communion is not only is it communion with Christ in that we are identifying with his death and resurrection and remembering what he did for us, but we also identify with each other. It helps us to realize that we're all on the same team. We're all in this together. We're all trying to figure life out and live according to the the, the life that God desires us to live and that we need each other. Listen, the Bible tells us, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, listen, do you realize that when God saved you through Jesus, it was never his intention for you to just kind of be a lone ranger. When he saved you from enslavement to sin and made you free, part of that process is connecting you to the body of believers called the church. And he has given you the spirit so that you can be a part of building up his body. So a question for you this morning is this. How is God using you to build up the body of believers right here at First Baptist Church, Starfall? Because that's part of the purpose of your salvation. So in our salvation, now we have a place of belonging And that's with each other. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. And then third of all, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it reminds us that it's all, well, it's bigger than you. You see, God has a purpose in bringing us together, doesn't he? And that purpose is, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, for us to be ambassadors for Christ. Just like Israel was to be unique unto the Lord and show the rest of the world what the kingdom of heaven looks like, that's what the church is called to do. Do you realize that? 
Listen again, the way we treat each other in the marriage relationship, the way we parent our children, the way we handle ourselves at work, the way we coach our ball teams, the way we do things in our civic clubs, the way we treat our neighbors, the way we treat people who are unbelievers, all of those things are to show the world what heaven looks like. That's our purpose. Jesus says we're to be a city on a hill. A city on a hill shines, right? People see that. But notice he doesn't say a person on a hill. He says a city on a hill. So we belong together as a church, and as a church, we live the kingdom life in the marketplace, in our homes, at our schools, and at the ball fields. We were saved from sin, but we are saved for God. So a question for you this morning is this. Do you remember your purpose? What an incredible thing, right? I mean, again, if I'm an Israelite back in Joshua chapter 5, it's driving me crazy, you know? I mean, the manna from the sky and all, that's great. But I'm ready to eat something different. The going from one place to another, eh, I'm ready to have a home. I'm ready to finally be settled. I'm ready to finally experience that destiny that God has always desired for me. The hardest thing in the world for me would be to stop. But God makes them stop, doesn't he? Because they need to remember their identity. They need to remember that they belong to each other and belong to him. And they need to remember their purpose. And so do we. Is it possible this morning that you've lost your identity? Is it possible that you've kind of fallen back into some old habits of, well, thinking that your identity is wrapped up in how much money you make or what kind of job you have? Your identity is wrapped up in how your spouse is treating you. Your identity is wrapped up in how many friends you got how important people think you are? Is it possible that you have forgotten that it's about more than just you? That God didn't just save you so that you could get a ticket to heaven. God saved you and brought you with other people because he desired to give you a place to belong And through that group of people to whom you belong, that he has a purpose. Is God your greatest delight in life right now? You know, people can tell the difference, right? I mean, we can say that, but people can look at us and they can tell whether or not we really mean it. They watch what we do way more than what we say. You know that's true because you do the same thing. Does your life show that God is your greatest delight? Or have you stepped into the land, received all these incredible blessings from God, and become more like the people in the land? 
You see, when we participate this morning of the Lord's Supper, it should send an incredible message. And that is that God is for you. That God is for the church. And that God is for Starkful. Evidenced by his giving of his body and shedding of his blood. Obvious in the assembling of us right here together in this particular city. And obvious by the way that we live our lives differently in order to allow the people of the city of Starkville to see what the kingdom of heaven is like. And as we delight in God above all else, as they observe the incredible grandeur and wonder of God, that they choose to delight in Him above all else as well. It's important, isn't it, that we remember. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you here this morning and we thank you for allowing us this opportunity to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Thank you for giving us this chance to kind of stop. Life is so busy. And here, as we are on the edge of a new academic year, which really is kind of a new year for our old city, and certainly a new year for our church, we thank you for causing us here today on this particular last Sunday of July to stop and remember. To remember that our identity is in you. To remember that we belong to you collectively. We are a part of each other. We are a part of a body. It's more than just each individual. We are together. We belong to you. You have assembled us. And to remember the purpose for that assembling. The purpose of that saving. And that is to reveal that you are incredible. Father, help us in this time to truly remember and in doing so, reflect on where we are right now with you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.